that one moment can make a difference. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I would hear that in the past, and I would think like, why well, let that moment pass? That was the moment. And it's like, no, every moment is the moment. It's not the moment until you make the decision to make it the moment. Ooh. Any moment can be that moment. So, never stop trying to get yourself to do something. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast, where um, through the sharing of stories and ideas, uh, we feel less alone, hopefully, and undo some of that undue anxiety we all suffer out there in the world um, unnecessarily, I think. So um, I'm Dr. John Duffy. I'm your host, and I appreciate you protecting a little time to spend with me and my guests. Uh, today, I am uh, really excited to be sitting across from Nathan. Nathan, welcome, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Nathan is the first guy who ever told me what a podcast was <laughs> more yeah. a decade ago, something like that. Um, yeah, I guess 2009 or something. Yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking, like, I, I listened to a couple, Joe Rogan, I remember. And, yeah. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, I'll never have anything to do with this, you know. Yeah. And, and here we sit. So I'm really, I'm very glad you're here because I think you're a guy, I probably haven't said this to you enough, who I have so much respect for. And, um, and I'm really fond of you, man. And, uh, and um, yet I know that you have a story to tell because you've suffered a lot of undue anxiety. Yeah. So, um, so where do you think we start, man? Oh, man. I don't know. Just like the beginning of my anxiety? Yeah, yeah let's talk about where it started. For me, I think, uh, man, if you really go back, I think um, – being at swimming lessons when I was like six years old, I remember uh, not being able to touch the water and do the alligator uh -huh. <laughs> like yeah, everybody yeah. else. <laughs> but I still like I didn't have the way a way to like tell the teacher or do anything, you know. So uh -huh. I, I don't even remember what happened. I just remember struggling with that and the sort of anxiety of of that situation, which is like I can't do something because I can't reach the bottom. Wow. But yeah. not have not feeling like there was a way out of of that situation. You felt trapped. Yeah, I ended up. I don't remember. I think I probably blocked out. You know, some kind of, sort of breakdown, and like I don't I think I went to the swimming lessons after the first time or something. Is that right? Yeah, I think you it swim was something now? like that. I mean, yeah, just not. I don't try to, but I'm not afraid of swimming in it. Yeah. Way. Okay. But when okay. You, that just was like one of those things where. I was kind of in over my head in terms of experiences. I was homeschooled, so I did. I, and I don't know if I was like five or six or seven, but uh, being just being in a group of strange strangers, like even though there were just other kids, um, it was probably one of the first times I'd had like that sort of school experience of like a class. Yeah. And then it being something where I was like, I, I don't know if I'd swam either that much. You know, I don't know. Right. It's did, it's did, actually did. one of those memories where like I don't think it would take a lot to get some of that back. I'd have to ask my mom or something. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Did you think being homeschooled, um, which is kind of, you know, it's just an unusual method. Do you yeah. think that had a lot to do with, you know, the anxiety that you suffered? Um, I don't think that, I think for me personally it did, but I don't think that homeschooling does that to somebody. I think that um, for me it, it, I was definitely more of a social person, so I needed some of that, um, and also, still probably just 
naturally, like everybody, I guess, had some social anxiety, and you can get over that by having social experiences yeah. that I didn't have. Right. Um, and some some homeschooling kids like don't care, and some of them do have those experiences. I definitely had social experiences, but with other homeschooling kids, it was uh, not ideal. Yeah. You know. Why did I your mean, parents make that choice for you? Do you know? Yeah, it was it was a. A real half-assed choice. <laughs> it was bad. Do tell me. Yeah. What do you mean? I mean, if I may judge my parents. <laughs> uh, well, my sister went to first grade, and she found it boring, and she didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And after two weeks, my mom decided to have her homeschooled. And so then they just did the same thing for me. Okay. And you're not impressed. Well, you're not impressed with that as a parenting choice. No, because, like... My sister knew how to read before she went in there. Uh-huh. I didn't know how to read. And they never, like, really went through any sort of curriculum to teach me how to read. Yeah. And so then it was like, well, why doesn't Nathan know how to read? He must have dyslexia. And then they went and got tested for dyslexia, and they're like, he doesn't have dyslexia. And that was it. You know, I learned how to read from Garfield books and from the internet. Wow. I don't think I knew mo- how to spell most words until like I was like 14. Is that right? I just would go on message boards and be like, oh, like all these, like I, I, my vocabulary increased like tenfold from the internet too. Yeah. I remember you making a case to me one time that the <laughs> education system was, um, you know, flawed in part because it hasn't adapted to the internet. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember saying oh, that? Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. For kind of yeah that we could like <laughs> you know like about that. well I remember you saying like you know um we're we're being told like these particulars about like American history yeah a- ignoring the fact that we can Google yeah yeah <laughs> you're like maybe we should teach kids how to Google better but yeah yeah I always thought that was a really interesting perspective so so from like that that um, early childhood memory you know which I get is anxiety provoking right you're, yeah you're you don't have a voice and you're in the water like it feels like yeah. a threatening situation how do things evolve from there uh well I ended up um I ended up having an accident where I basically I accidentally killed my cat which you know about I do and uh it's hard to say but I mean I, it's it was like a a misunderstanding um and it's hard it's i do feel like uh, it's you know, people are going to judge me but it's like um i never have been judged yet i guess for most people i'd say but I, i'll be the worst critic of it but um it was like a really terrible experience that you know kind of ruined me for a lot in a lot of ways you were 7 am i yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah i mean it it feels indelible this moment right yeah, I mean, yeah. so this is more than 20 years ago yeah and you feel it well it's because it's like one of those things it's like how do you explain it like i was like goofing around, which is like the worst like way to start the, like a guilty <laughs> sentence. Yeah, right? <laughs> just goofing around, you know. But um, this is true. You were yeah. seven, man, right? Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. And so I put him in like a uh, like one of those big plastic garbage cans. It was like empty or whatever, yeah. and I put him in there and uh, put the lid on it, and didn't remember to get him out of there before we went on like an hour long trip to see this play which is Annie, which, by the way, I'll, I'll always hate that m- movie or that play because of this. I'll bet. Uh, but, um, and then I realized at the play and was too afraid, I was just deathly afraid to tell anybody, but I didn't think it was, like, a, a life-and-death situation because I didn't know that you could run out of oxygen 
based on, you know, like I thought you had to be like, like suffocation was based on like putting a pillow over someone's head. You right, know? right. So I didn't know he could just run out of oxygen in that trash can. And, and yeah. that's what happened. And so that was a really traumatic experience. And I think before that, though, my mom had said that like my anger had been something around six or whatever. And I think it was just diet and lack of, because uh, I, I know I, I look back, and I know I had a bad diet. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I would wake up at like seven in the morning and my dad would go to work. And he didn't make breakfast or anything. He was just going to work. And my mom would get up at, like, the earliest would be, like, 11 a.m. So I'd be up for hours without any kind of breakfast. Um, and so you wouldn't eat before school? There was no school or, either. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, like, what we would do as school work would be, like, do do a page of these math problems in this math book. And, like, they'll read you a chapter from this history book that is um, – Maybe the history. I mean, the history. I don't know. I want to criticize the history book, but I think it's just the whole experience. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm um, knowing you. I'm always struck by um, how intelligent and thoughtful you are for a guy who suffered kind of a dearth of early experiences. Like, because in, <laughs> yeah. in a way, like when I think about your early life, I think um, there most days were void of contact and experience. Yeah, you know, and, I, and, and and that seems kind of brutal for a kid especially a kid yeah. who's like yearns to be social you know yeah I think um, yeah I think it's what it was I think um, it really is about how someone's like there's nature versus nurture and I think nature is responsible for that part right because obviously their nurture was fucked up a little bit <laughs> right 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know exactly where because knowing that like, cause my around age six, my mom like took me to this holistic doctor. Another bad decision, and they were like, I mean, not not in life. I mean, there are good things that they can do, but right. Um, they were like, you know, try not taking them off of cow's milk and you know, dumb shit like that. <laughs> right. And um, so looking for some solution to yeah. your behavior, not recognizing yeah. the role that their parenting is playing to some extent. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. we we moved from Columbus to Chicago in, when I was nine. And right around that time, like right before we moved it, um, my anxiety boiled into OCD and I would like have trouble shutting car doors and drawers in the house, even putting like a cap back on the milk. Um, I felt like something was going to be trapped in there and like if I did it a wrong way, if I didn't touch the corners of the drawer right or the light switch that my mom was going to die or that really bad things were going to happen or like that I was going to be doomed on a different path in life. If I thought like if I... I would make sure that I never turned around a full 360 degrees because I would get wrapped up in the trail of that I was leaving behind. And I wow. wanted to make sure that I wasn't tangled. You know what wow. I mean? So I, I do. Someone should have come along right then and just killed me. <laughs> this kid's done. <laughs> um, it, it sounds <laughs> so wretched and painful, right? I mean, yeah. like, I, 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 and yeah, that feels like such pervasive OCD. Yeah. Like, oftentimes, if somebody tells me about their symptoms, it's like, I can't touch doorknobs, but I can yeah. work around that kind of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, it's not, do you, how, you know, the experience with the cat, you know, putting yeah. the lid on something, um, my mom's going to die. You know, yeah. that's funny. I never thought about that my entire life. Is that right? right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about like the, like the, the, the metaphor feels like kind of um, wow. yeah. obvious almost, right? Well, I've right? never told those two things that closely together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah With, man. Without, wow. Without villainizing. That's so brutal. That, that, that it's like that simplistic. I think that's probably right, you know? Yeah. I think, I think a a, part, part of the reason I think we're, we sit here and talk about this stuff is sometimes the shit that is simplistic that, you know, like yeah. we, we make super complex and we 
find these ways to loathe ourselves mm -hmm. because of things we either couldn't do anything about or are erroneous or errant or we make these weird assumptions. And, and you know, what's curious to me about your story is you had this moment, like, you know, this thing with the cat happened, right? Yeah. And so you could always, and so, you know, most of us, I, I think, have this script in our head that says we're not good enough or maybe I'm not that good a person or something like that. You turn to that fairly frequently as like, you know, hey, man, I have evidence. You know, like, yeah. I did a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it's a bad combo because, you know, people, I know people who I think f would relate to the first part of what you said about, you know, um, about uh, not feeling that great about themselves or, yeah. or, ha or struggling to, you know, believe in themselves or wondering if they're a good person. Um, but most people don't have something like that to turn to. Right. And so I talk to people like that and they still even though they have and I guess you'd be kind of a shitty person if you if you didn't say this but they always are saying you know like not to feel bad about it and I was just a kid and things like that and um it really that's you know it really is just about yourself I mean you know so the same person that says that might be doing the same thing I'm doing and turning it against themselves yeah you know if they're in my shoes but I mean that that's a good thing about talking about it too is like People are often nicer to other people than they are to themselves. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> Almost, you absolutely are, right? Yeah. I mean, people get, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. I think it's there's something almost universal about it, unless you're completely egocentric, is that, you know, we give other people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know, if I always wondered, like, if a good friend of yours had done, had killed their cat accidentally. Yeah. How quickly would you be to give them a pass? Like, oh, man, you were seven years old, dude. No big deal. Yeah, you, you, you know, it you, would be. I would be most concerned with the fact that they were hurting from it. I think, yeah. and that would be it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and it's so hard to give yourself that same consideration. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know why, because you know, it's not like the same as like someone you know murdering somebody, right? To say the least. So it's like, well, there's no ill intent. Uh, you know, yeah. think about like you just thought this was just a curiosity, right? I mean, it yeah. was just a moment. Yeah. 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 It's and yet you're cringing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it still yeah. hard, is it, is it something you haven't let go of? I mean, to an extent, um, I think I, I, I'm a lot better. Yeah. You know, but um, I think yeah, probably not. Deep down. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I feel this anxiety about um, not villainizing your parents. What do you think? So, so in the name <laughs> of in the name of Every parent is doing their best, and sometimes yeah. their best just isn't quite cutting it. Right. What do you think drove them to make some of the decisions they made? You know what I mean? Like, is there, is there, um, e even without being specific, can you say, like, I yeah. know that there are, you know, stories from their early experiences that, that brought them to the spot where they were not, where they were a bit negligent to me? Yeah, I don't know about that because I think that they, like, again, when it comes down to intent, you know, and, like, they never had anything but the best intentions, mm -hmm. which is, you know. Um, but I feel like there was a – there there was a, a, an interest with, a, with maybe a lack of participation. You know, sometimes you or someone you know can want something to happen without maybe realizing that you, all you have to do is, like, do it yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think from my dad's perspective, he would always kind of want to see that I'd made progress, but 
given that he was working and he was working full time, but not like he wasn't like one of those dads that was like he's never home or something, right? Business trips or anything, or when he got home, he just disappear. I mean, he would watch TV and and relax, but he spent a lot of time with me as younger kids. But as as a, as he got older, there was and he was older too, you know. So by the time I was eleven, he was uh, you know sixty five. Right. So he was definitely, you know, just trying to chill and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think he kept – I don't feel like he did his part if the parenting were to be seen as equal, like equal parts between him and my mom. Yeah. And I, honestly, I don't think he did his part in terms of just keeping my mom in check, you know, because I think he – in many ways, he was like a lower status than my mom. Mm-hmm. She was the primary yeah. parent. She made the calls. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, and so with my mom, it's like so. There's that. There's like my dad, sort of, um, you know, being mildly not present in a very sort of mild way, but more than that, kind of just not uh, keeping things all in check. Yeah, you know, um, and the, with my mom, it's it's really comes down to the simplest way I could sum it up is that she was also a child. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, you know people like that, and it's very true for her, even though she's mature in plenty of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, it was, it's just evident that she cared more about sleeping and get, and getting what she thought was, you know, important to her, which was a full night's sleep and never, ever sacrificing even an hour for anybody else, you know. So that's like, that's kind of the crux of it, because, I mean, that's where the lonely mornings came from. Um, and then just kind of not having the work ethic, let alone the sort of idea that you would need a work ethic to have a plan for how to school us. Yeah. She homeschooled us because in a very hippie kind of fashion of like, oh, my kid wants to do this. I want to let them do whatever they want. Right. And then that was for my sister. And then for me, it was just an afterthought and just the fallout from that. And it was just, yeah. And it was just like, well. I like the idea of homeschooling my kids. I'm not going to do the best I can at that because I'm not really even thinking about that. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's just it's just the way that she she was. You know, and I see it with friends that I have now who are raising kids. Like not the exact same thing or anything like that, but just that. And it's fucked up that parents are just people. You yeah. know, like it's and anybody can up. do it. You don't yeah. need a card. You know, there's no definitely test. should need a card. <laughs> I'm down. Well, I'm, I'm down for whatever. Like, if it's fascism or anything, like <laughs> people should have cards. Like they really, really should. It, it's the tricky. world would be a better place. Well, you know, when I when I listen to your story, it's it's it. There's this brutal element to it, right? Because yeah. because it feels like, ooh, the the gestures uh, from a parenting point of view. Um, that were necessary for you to feel intact would are small, right? I yeah. mean, it's like get up a little bit earlier, be with me a little bit more, right? I mean, like yeah. be a little more present here. I'm yeah. I didn't know that was you. like a thing, yeah. but I do remember being really lonely, and I, I wasn't allowed to watch TV, and I was the kind of kid where it, until I was until we moved to Chicago, I followed that rule. So I don't even know what was going on in the in the earlier years, you know, like. There's one specific morning I remember because I got I saw my dad off to work or whatever and like I got up early enough to see him and I was really depressed when he left. And that was one of those times where I just it stuck out cuz I was just depressed. 
um, and sitting alone on the couch and thinking like that that was like one of the first times I can remember just thinking like shitty things about myself is it, so 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 the way the way it sounds to me it sounds like there's this void of connection and culture for a guy who at, at almost 30 is one of the most cultured people I know <laughs> so, so you've obviously done some accommodating we'll get to that but <laughs> You know, and then you see your dad leave this one day. That's so brutal. And and is it kind of like, well, that's it. Like that's the contact for the day, and it's. Done. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what the, you know, there's no good reason behind it. Like the connection isn't there in terms of like, my dad left, I'm lonely, and I'm a piece of shit. Like I don't know where those two things. It's interesting that that's the connection, Connect, right? It's yeah. not like, you know, I'm so mad at my dad for leaving yeah. or, you know, I'm mad at my mom for being asleep. You're mad at you, – you start to I think it's yourself. just because there was nothing else to do, you know? Like wow. I, I almost kind of think that because I think that may have been after the cat incident mm-hmm. but may not have been, honestly. I'm not sure. Was it, the, the cat incident sounds like it wasn't necessary for you to, feel, to yeah. have this negative self-worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how does it how does it progress from there? I mean, you know, like so, is there is there reprieve when you finally? Because at some point you get to school, right? Well, my mom gets up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, um, literally, like so, at some year in high school or something. Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah. Seventeen. Yeah, I sh- entered as a junior, like as if I was sixteen, because didn't have credits to, you know, I like the homeschooling that I had, such as it was, and I think they like kind of did me some favors to even get me in as a junior, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I just, so I just entered as a junior because... What was it like? Sounds so weird. You know, I, I, to just without, uh, you know, I, yeah. all clinical uh, ideas aside, it just sounds like such an odd it thing. Was, I've never known anybody who's done that. It, I think it was the biggest adrenaline rush I've ever had, and it, I think it would only be comparable to, like, if I were to be, like, going on stage as, like, a rock star or something. You uh-huh. know? Like, to, can really? That? Yeah. Because it was like being in a movie because, like, I'd literally never been in a classroom that was real. So I went I went to a play one time when I was, like, 12. And, like, I was seeing the lockers. A play of my friend was in, sorry, in middle school. Yeah. And, like, I was the first time I'd gone to this middle school that I'd heard so much about because all my friends went there. I was lucky enough to actually have – I did have a lot of friends as a kid. That was – maybe that's – I don't know. Maybe that definitely helped me in some way. You know, some kind of godsend there, right? Definitely, I mean, yeah, dude. Because yeah. both both in Ohio, in Columbus, and in Chicago, my neighborhoods had a lot of friends uh, or you know kids. So I made a lot of friends. But uh, I would go to this school, and I was like, "Wow, this is like it's crazy to be here." That this place I've heard so much about, and I think I just would like maybe like saw into a classroom and just seeing all the chairs and stuff. It was like an alien world in wow. a sense. And then fast forward to now, I'm 17, and I didn't actually see a lot of movies by the age of 12, so I didn't probably have that many references for school. Right. But by 17, I'd seen a bunch of movies and stuff. And So you had the so breakfast club idea of what yeah. school was yeah, like? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, when I walked into the first classroom, it was like walking into the world of television. <laughs> <laughs> in the stupidest way possible. Well, no, I, it doesn't sound stupid, though, Nathan. In it context, like, it sounds like yeah. that's, that's the world you knew, That's right? the only way I had any context for it. Yeah. And uh, it was like everything I'd seen like there were kids that you know would stand out and it, it was just everything it was just a classroom you know there was just characters in there and, yeah 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 you know and, and I love that 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 image it's like a rock star walking on stage like so this was yeah. exhilarating you you yeah. liked it 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was the best. Yeah. Yeah. And like two weeks later, I was like, school is so boring. I'm so tired. And I want to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> 17 is 17, right? Yeah, I yeah, mean... exactly. I had senioritis <laughs> even after only two years. <laughs> Guy goes to school for two weeks his whole life, he gets senioritis. <laughs> Man. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like what I took away from school that I loved were the classes where I thought the teacher was actually intelligent. Uh-huh. And the socialization yeah so like i would live for just the seven minute walks like every there were like maybe be one period where i wouldn't have someone to walk with from one class to the next and it'd be fucking like <laughs> sorry it's all right like, that's sometimes a really, it's the only word it's a really do. unnecessary <laughs> swear <right here>. uh <laughs> it would just be like i would look forward to it so much and it would be like there was just like a camaraderie there it's like we have the plan to walk together during this time and we're going to talk about stuff and I would be super full of energy between those classes, you know, and um, almost I would like, you know, so I would just be like dancing next to the person I was walking to, like you know, skipping or something, you know. It's that that juice is palpable, man. I mean, I can yeah. imagine that that, that it's like <laughs> drinking water for the first time in the desert, you know. Like yeah. it's, it sounds mm-hmm. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I'm thinking like, okay, so you've kind of described pretty well like how that um, self worth issue became a part of your life. Yeah. But I'm thinking like in in the void before that moment where you get into school, yeah. how does a guy develop a sense of self at all? How do you know what you're about? You know what I mean? If you don't know what's going on in the culture, if you don't know, you know, you've got some friends, but yeah. you're not you're not in it. It's like you're on the outside looking in a little, yeah? Yeah. Um a little bit definitely in terms of my friends in school, but uh I one thing that was awesome was when I was like 15, I think, um, my dad got GarageBand for our Mac, and so I started making music on that, and it was cool to show my friends and everything, but, like, well, I guess it started with, I always liked music, but I really got into music when I heard uh, Linkin Park. Yep. That was, like, the big band for me, you know? I remember, man, yes. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) And uh, when I was, like, 15, my dad got GarageBand, and so... And, and that was the thing, too. When I heard Linkin Park, like, what, the first thing I was imagining was being on stage. And, like, so I, like, instantly knew what I wanted to do. It was one of those things where, like, a kid sees something, and you're like, that's what I want to do. So, why Linkin Park? Why, why do you think it was that band that, that, that spoke to you? Um, Because the pain in the singer's voice was, like, the pain in my soul. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds so bad to say. But uh, it's really true. It's it like, actually is a relief to hear mm-hmm. that you that you're like. Uh, it's almost like this. What I hope the, this podcast does. It's like yeah. you, you you hear this music and it's like, oh yeah, that's me, man. That speaks to me. I am not yeah. alone. Like Linkin yeah. Park guy. What's his name? Chester Bennington. Chester. Bennington. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, he feels the way I feel. And, yeah. You know, there's something. Um, maybe not joyful about that, but at least you know you're not the solitary Cathartic guy. Cathartic and. Um, yeah, it, definitely not joyful, but. Um, poignant and uh yeah it's amazing what can be in a voice that has you know effects on it and all that kind of stuff and it's still and like the lyrics could literally be anything yeah i was gonna say you're not talking about the lyrics you're talking about the the, the pain you hear in his voice yeah yeah Mm, yeah. and then the sound yeah yeah and uh and like he is an amazing person like following him on Twitter and just, you know, in yeah. interviews and stuff like I can, you, you could just tell when someone's like really cool. <laughs> well, um, I, I think you can, 
I mean, yeah. I, th- I think I think yeah, we we all have our heroes and we all have our people we turn to. But you, yeah. you you've had this, and maybe this is something you develop when you spend a lot of time on your own. But you you found your your heroes a, a early, I think, and yeah. and kind of um, uh, really latched onto them, like and and they spoke to you, like yeah. who who else fits in that category? Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew did for Loveline. Yeah. Um, lately, I haven't been following Adam Carolla, and it's kind of been. He's kind of been replaced by Scott Ackerman on Comedy Bang Bang and just all the comedians in that world from uh, UCB in California, basically, and Earwolf Network, and like Doug Benson. Yeah. This is a podcast called Doug Loves Movies. It's, you know... So, so Chester Benningfield speaks to you. Bennington. And Bennington. <laughs> Bennington. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No, shoot. I, I thought I had that. I thought it was going to be cool for a minute. <laughs> so, I don't know if he's cool anymore. <laughs> uh, right. Maybe not. The, the kids probably uh, yeah. aren't listening to him. Um, and then the, there's so much comedy that you that you reference, you know, like yeah. and, and for for a guy who has had a lot of anxiety and depression in his life, fair fair to say, yeah, um, it's interesting that comedy draws you in, you know. Yeah, well, it didn't at first. Um, you know, I think the first thing that I thought, the first thing that it was like Seinfeld with my dad, Third uh-huh. Rock from the Sun. Um, friends and stuff like that and yep. then it and just basic stuff you know like movies and there were no really like great comedies that i experienced and were those know, about like being next to your dad on a couch or you yeah know? i yeah. mean definitely seinfeld i think is so good that it and so classic that it speaks to it, it's there's so many things in there that you take away that as like kind of standard mm-hmm. uh for comedy so it definitely like exposed me to a lot of tropes um that are good right yeah, but, I think Seinfeld changed the way a lot of us uh, think and speak. Yeah, uh, literally. There's like, like you know, literally I think... a sarcasm that it almost seems like it invented. Yeah, yeah, I think um, that's right. It's not even about like saying something sarcastic, unless it is like having a presence of sarcasm. You know, like the uh, those characters are just like always ready to like rip on each other, um, and uh, it didn't. But yeah, I think my the the first time that I would just be alone. Laughing out loud and just feeling joy was listening to Love Line, because the the complaints of a guy who didn't want to be in a radio studio at midnight, you know, it's fucking <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and uh, it fueled him to you know be funny and and to and you know it was working even though I don't think he was truly happy. Right. No, there was something about when you used to talk about Love Line, it, it felt like this salvation almost. Like, I mean, I felt yeah. like, you know, you needed that. It was too, because it was the counter to my parents because they would talk about bad parents. And they would talk about, I was like 14 when I started listening to, and they're like, 14, 15 is the age when you start to realize your parents are stupid. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you're right. And like, you know, Adam would have these really negligent parents that he would talk about. And I was like, I don't think mine are as negligent as yours, but I relate. And then. The more I've, the older I've gotten, the more I think I was like, oh, they kind of were. Like Adam really sells the negligence of his parents, but if I were to sell it as hard as him, like I, I think they're in line. You know, you there's do? a lack of. I, I think the one thing that my mom had over either of his parents were was really caring and 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 being interested. Yeah. But it didn't, for whatever reason, with her, it didn't create uh, a lot of action taking. Still, yeah. You know, of her taking action, so. Um, and then just with Dr. Drew being there, that you, you were like, I don't remember if this was before or after we started recording, but you were talking about uh, 
where like the um, I don't know if you use the word intelligence or something that I have. Like, where did that come from? If I was yeah. just alone all the time, yeah. Um, I felt like that that when you describe Love Line as a haven, like that's what it was. Is like, oh my god, like these people are smart and being really honest, and they're wondering why other people aren't smart. That's that's all I needed. You know, I was like, yeah, you guys are smart. What is wrong with everybody? Right. In like. I, it really was like being on a boat and you and you found this island of, you know, cool people. I remember being so happy for you. And when I first heard it, um, and, and I, I, I don't think I've ever thanked you for this, but um, it kind of changed the way I think about what I do for a living. Because, oh, really? yeah, yeah, Dang. because um, in a way, like, you know, um, we're taught like in graduate school, like, you know, to be very kind of clinical and and diagnostic and things. And um, yeah. here you got these guys who are talking um, just in this raw, real, funny way, yeah. irreverent, you know, yeah. about like, and, and, and there was something so liberating about like just hearing that. Um, <laughs> the funniest thing just happened. My, my mic just like took a, took a nosedive for he some reason. Just, <laughs> like somebody um, falls asleep standing <laughs> up just slowly. Sorry down. to bore you, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, so I, I, it really did like that. That changed my life a little bit too, wow. just because I realized, oh yeah, you know, people are people. Talk to them like they're human beings. You yeah. know, you don't don't. And so uh, after, I'll, I'll just share this with you because I, yeah. I just remembered this. In on the bookshelf in my office, I used to have um, diagnostic manuals and books about cutting and depression and things, and they're yeah. gone. I took them all out just because, in a way, it was like. I don't want to think about people that way. I, yeah. I want to think about people the way those guys are thinking about people. And it was really helpful in that regard. That's awesome. And yeah. It's funny you say that because they would talk about people being predictable and how doing it as much as they did, they could always predict who somebody was. And almost to an extent where sometimes I'd be like, are you putting them in a box a little too quickly? Uh-huh, you know? yeah. But, a little too quick to judge and, and categorize. And I think of being a radio show, you know, affects that for sure. Yeah. But also, and also Adam Carolla affected that because Dr. Drew would want to get into something and Adam would be like, he's fine. You know, like something like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Because um, they definitely, despite that, they definitely did, you know, have a very um, compassionate way of, of dealing with uh, especially the more severe problems when people were like doing something like cutting themselves or and, and people or would call them about this and they would, would actually feel those calls right yeah it would be brutal because people would call that had been raped or had been were being abused by adults and like that was when you'd really like the their true colors would show too you know and yeah. and how they would care and how carefully they would treat those calls right right and that was something where it's like someone who's always feeling hurt myself to, to hear somebody telling something that's that rough of a story where they're hurting more than me. It gave me an opportunity to feel empathetic towards somebody that I didn't even know. And in that way, also not feel alone, not in like, um, obviously I'm not happy this is happening to somebody, but it's like, it was almost like a, a, a network of people where it's like, we didn't ever talk to each other, but we all knew each other was out there and we we're all like wishing the best for each other and stuff. I, I love that, and and I love that that happened for you. Um, some of the uh, teenagers and, 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 and young adults I work with now find that through, like, following certain Twitter accounts or, yeah. like, you know, Instagram, people on Twitch. Instagram. Yeah, Twitch, yeah, yeah. Um, Twitch is the thing that is, like, let me know that I'm not 
young anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, but, but, you know, when I, I was it, young, we played our video games. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly the 29-year-old's an old man, right? I yeah. Mean, um, <laughs> yeah. That's so fun. Yeah, because, yeah, things move fast now. They I mean, yeah. <laughs> life I, changes. When I was 14, 29 was old as hell, you know? Like, so <laughs> I got to remember that that's the perspective, you know? Yeah, right, it's, right. It's <laughs> Well, I don't know if it was Dylan or somebody who said, you know, when, or it might have been Mick Jagger or somebody saying, never trust anybody over 30. You know, <laughs> yeah. now they're all like 70, you know? I, know. I I've thought that many times, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah people get jaded. <laughs> well, I, um, you know, it's fun to talk to young people because you, you realize how much wisdom is in there. I mean, remember, yeah. I remember when you were a teenager, you know, you kind of blew me away with your, <laughs> with your insight and, you know, and, and kind of being reminded of how little experience you'd had in in your life um it, it almost is a wonder to me and it seems like such I, I don't know another word to use for it it seems like such a shame that you felt and sometimes feel badly about yourself you know mm-hmm. like yeah. and it's and, it, and it's hard to undo that because it seems like shit it seems like it takes such mighty work to raise yourself as you know a decent human being with intelligence and potential and you know what I mean like a job and and relationships and you've done that and yet (laughs) you know I think the credit you get from yourself is probably not enough (laughs) I guess not I although the last year has been good at allowing me to give myself credit which has helped me um maintain a level of like success I guess to an extent yes being relative how does um, that happen, man? Like, you know, I, if I'm listening, you know, yeah. so let's, you know, yeah. um, if I'm listening, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, and I'm 22, you know, and I'm thinking, like, yeah. this is just my life, you know? Like, here's a guy who was feeling this way until he was 27 or 28, and he ch- it's changing. I think the, the craziest thing is going to sound, it's going to sound weird, but I think the number one thing that someone should do is, if they don't have a job or if they have a job that they don't like, is to get a good job. Why? Um, because that's where you're spending s- some of your time. Yeah. And if that's going to be, sh- if you have a job that's shitty enough that you wish you didn't go to it, but you're also not liking your regular life, you have found a job that is worse than your self-hate. And so, like, you know, if you'd literally rather sit around and be depressed than go to that job, like, that's messed up. You know what I mean? I, and it's too, I, it yeah, takes I up do. too much of your life. You know, to so like just quit your sh- your shitty job and go get a different one. Like right now, go apply at like three places. Like that's what I would say. Like go apply at three places that you think would be good. And and like for me, like a coffee shop was that. And um, you know, I didn't know it was going to be as good as it was. But I think a lot of times people get stuck. Like I got stuck for three years being unemployed based on being depressed and being afraid that the job I was going to get was going to be awful like my last job. Right. Before those three years, I spent three years in that last job, which was at a hardware store, which was really um, just, like, I hated it more than it, more than sitting at home being depressed. And uh, I got, but I did that classic thing of, like, kind of feeling stuck and, uh, like, there weren't other opportunities and, like, it was going to be an effort to, you know, just get a new job. You know, it's 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 uh, I don't know what I thought you were gonna say in response mm-hmm. to that, but that you know, I figured uh, that wasn't what you're expecting. No, not at all. And yeah. yet, and yet, it's so pragmatic, and and uh, it makes so much sense because, 
this is where we spend a, a ton of our time, right? And if, yeah. you're, if you're in this miserable environment, you'd rather be sitting at home alone. You're, yeah. you're not going to be less depressed. You're yeah. not going to feel better about yourself. You're going to feel worse. So yeah. find, you know, find a setting where it feels better, you know? like Yeah, like just go, you know, if you like being around people, go work at a place that is has a lot of people but you know that might mean that you also have something else that you really don't like like you know working at a, at a restaurant in the kitchen maybe that's too much you know so yep. you need to but you just need to find it and I, mean, the, I got lucky but the first job you, t- you get probably isn't going to be that but you should have a job where like you like the people that you work with to a to a degree that you don't hate them and you the bar is low you should probably no not that low though you should have a couple people there that you really like you know because that helped that that and just i don't know like i i really think my my current job is what turned my life around though that's fascinating i did not i did not get that and um and that's uh, pause on that advice guys like that that's really that's Interesting to hear from a guy where I did not, I thought you were going to say something about music or comedy or connecting yeah. with people, but you're saying like the way you spend your time, pay well, attention I think, to it. Yeah, because I mean, I think it relates to connected people because um, if you have a job you like, you probably have good coworkers and then that's an instant like social network right. and you be friends with them, get drinks with them, get advice from them, you know, all that kind of stuff and like having people in your life that uh, care about you is like, the most important thing, you know, and a lot, of, like, I have so many childhood friends that it was, it was, there came a time when they're still really good friends, and we love spending time together, but we're on different places, not like we're in a different place in life, like, we can't, like, relate, right? but we're just on such different paths that they're not able to really give me a lot of uh, support outside of just, like, emotional, like, I'm there for you. Let's. You, I can talk to you. And yeah. I'll be there for you, but like not. They're not like living a life that I'm living. And so with coworkers, there's usually a lot more relatability than the average person because you're in the, having the same job. You know. Right. So I just think you know, just get out of a depressing warehouse job if that's what you have. You know. What what a, if, I love this thought, man, and yeah. it's so doable, right? Yeah. It's so. Anybody. It's hard to, if you're depressed. Though. I mean, I will admit. I mean, I, like I took three years to do it. But that's the other thing. Like, when I applied for this job, I had gone to my uh, my current therapist, and she had said uh, she she'd been trying to get me to to apply. Yeah. And she's like, "Well, just apply in the office right now on this laptop." So I did, and then the next night, I had said like, "I'm going to apply each day," and. From for the through the next week, and I was lying on the couch, and I wanted to drift off to sleep, and I was like, I guess I'll just like get up and just apply like really quick, and like I was a laptop in the kitchen, and that was the other thing like I like doing stuff around people, so my mom was in the kitchen, so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go spend some time in the kitchen with my mom, uh-huh. you know, and I kind of looked at it that way. And I filled out this application, and the next morning I got a call uh, for an interview, and it went from there, you know. So that one moment can make a difference. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I would hear that in the past, and I would think, like, why well, let that moment pass? That was the moment. And it's like, no, every moment is the moment. It's not the moment until you make the decision to make it the moment. Ooh. Any moment can be that moment. So never stop 
trying to get yourself to do something. Any moment is the moment. Yeah. Oh, man. Never <laughs> stop trying to get yourself to do something. Yeah. Let it happen. Make it happen. Right? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, you got to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you you have, for, for a guy who has at times been, I think, suicidal and yeah. deeply depressed, yeah. you have this kind of, um, I think you're going to agree with me reluctantly on this. You have this <laughs> life force, this, this undeniable um, will to do something and make yeah. some mark, right? Yeah, that's actually something that I that I do believe about myself um, that I feel like is I'm waiting that like I could be because of that feeling. I think I could be more, and I'm not, I'm not uh, living up to that potential. But that seems okay. Like that's to me, that feels different than I hate myself. That seems right. like do more. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I'm doing is, okay. Do it more. Is, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's it's a better way of looking at it than like, <laughs> you know. So um, depressed. <laughs> so, uh, what does the future look like for you, as best as you can tell? Um, I think it's funny. We've not directly talked about anxiety that much, but when you told me the name of the podcast, yeah, undo anxiety, I was like. That's brilliant because there are two types of anxiety, and when people use that term generally, they're talking about undue anxiety. Yes. Because there can be anxiety that's different. There is that other type of anxiety, but it's like, let's not even get into that one. Right. That That's the stuff of, like, you're about to go on stage. Yeah. You're anxious. Yep. Okay. But Normal, reasonable, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a box of spiders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joe Rogan is yelling at me to eat this box of spiders. And I'm just hoping that <laughs> that they don't cut my prize money in half. Right, right, uh, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so like it, most anxiety, like the, I, I think my sister like read this quote to me one time about like, the anxiety you feel that's bad, the undo stuff, is based on not doing things you know you need to do. So anytime you're putting something off that you f- either know you need to do or you that you feel you need to do, it's going to create anxiety. And the severity of the situation and what you're and how long you've been putting it off and how willing you are to confront it is the severity of, of the anxiety. And sometimes it's easier said than done because you can... Uh, you know, get get sort of uh, lost in a moment and not realize it's anxiety. Right. And I think that um, happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so the the future, I think, is filled with. Well, I actually will talk about the other anxiety. I think my future is filled with me shutting out the undue anxiety and replacing it with the good kind of anxiety because I'm going. The future is filled with challenges, and like. Me and my band are going to be doing live shows. I'm going to be trying to move to California, um, you know, taking, really pursuing the things that I've always wanted to do that I've somehow felt like every path, it's kind of like, I, I hate to just dip into another side story, but this story I heard in church and I'm, I, I didn't grow up going to church, but I have been a few times and uh, the past year once told this story about a flood and he gets like somebody comes by in a boat to save him, and eventually a helicopter to save him, and then he dies because he rejected those opportunities to save himself from the flood because he said God was going to save him. And God, he gets up to heaven, and God's like, "What? 
or he's like, why didn't you save me? And God's like, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. Like, what else more did you want? <laughs> and I think for me, it's always been like, how do I get, and people ask it all the time of, of the celebrities. They're like, how do I get into acting? How do I get into singing? How do I get into this or that? Yeah. Even if it's just a, a non-entertainment job, how do, how do I get into it? And it's like, well, there are a lot of opportunities and you have to create them for the most part. So like going and joining, going to LA, joining the UCB, Things like that's those are steps that I 100% want to take, but there's a part of me that's like, my way is more special than that or something, you know? Or it's, I'm just making it precious instead of just like, and that allows me to protect myself from failure and from the real, the, the good anxiety. Because uh-huh. that feels like it's immediate and guaranteed, like, ooh, I'm gonna go put myself out there, I'm gonna audition in front of these people. That makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. Well, now I feel bad, and I feel a little resentment and a little anger and a little disappointment, but it's really mild, and I'm not going to notice it when I made that first decision to not do something. I'm going to notice it later, and I'm not even going to realize what it is. Oh. But I'm just going to be all – and that just builds and builds and builds. I get it, man. Well put, and what a clinic on undue <laughs> anxiety. I appreciate yeah. it. Um have you ever been on a podcast before? No. <laughs> I'm so honored that the first podcast that you have been on is yeah. mine because uh, I suspect man. this isn't the last. Will oh, you come thanks. back sometime, man? Of course. Dude. I love talking to you. It was a blast. Man. Good, 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 good. Um, Nathan, thank you, man. Um, all right. You can hear this uh, podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, LiveLeadPlay.com, or WGN+. Um If you have a thought, question, comment, uh, you'd like to be on the podcast, you know somebody you'd like to be on the podcast, write me at johngduffy at drjohnduffy.com. At that website, drjohnduffy.com, there is a free parenting program. Your parents can still use it. (laughs) Um, uh, It's just five quick videos to watch. It's not boring. It's not terrible. I promise you. And you'll feel like a better parent at the back end of it. Thank you again uh, on behalf of Nathan and myself for listening, and I will talk to you next time.